Thanks for listening to Rare Bird Radio. I'm Doug Cooper, author of the award-winning fiction Outside In and the Investment Club, and the recently released thriller Focus Lost. This podcast is sponsored by Rare Bird Books, based in Los Angeles, a publisher of 50-plus books per year, distributed worldwide. I have the pleasure of being in conversation with Karen Stefano and talk about her memoir, What a Body Remembers. Welcome, Karen. Well, thanks, Doug. It's it's wonderful to get to talk to you again. Uh, it's been uh, got a couple a couple of years. We last talked about your your novel Outside In, and uh, now I'm thrilled to talk to you about Focus Lost. Which, uh, yeah, thriller is an understatement. Uh, it's a it's a wild ride. Yeah, we we go back a few years, I think, uh, and I was reminded today by one of those lovely Facebook memories that it was six years since uh, Outside In was published um, coming up this summer. So I think that's when we first connected, and it was about your short story collection, uh, The Secret Game of Words, which I, I really loved, and just excited to to connect back with you and, yeah. and really get into what a body remembers. Um, yeah. And, and one of the things, you know, you, you touched on with outside in and which was really about identity and, and becoming the opposite to understand who you truly are. And, and one of the lines that I just had marked that I wanted to kind of kick things off with that just really resonated with me um, was, you know, sometimes we have to pretend until we become the person we're pretending to be, right? right. That, that you ask it as a question, but I, I just love, love that line. You know, it captures all the, you know, fake it until we make it and just, just so much of the struggle um, and the doubt and the uncertainty with identity. So talk a little bit about what that line means to you and, and where, it, where it came from. Well, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword uh, because I I think that we do sometimes have to pretend uh, to feel self-confident. We have to exude uh, uh, a sense of power and self-confidence, or we're not going to make it in whatever it is we're pursuing. And there there there's definitely a benefit to the fake it till you make it approach. But, uh, and this is a lot of what my book's about is that pretending is a kind of, it's a form of lying. It's, it's a form of lying to yourself. It's a form of lying to the outer world, lying to the people close to you. And that pretending and lying creates distance and it creates distance even with your inner self um so you know that's that's really what that what that line means and and what that theme in in my book goes to uh, is that it is a double-edged sword and uh it's an interesting question for all human beings i mean what's what's the right what's the right mix uh how much pretending is too much and uh but yeah i agree it's very much about 
identity and, um, you know, going back to, to outside in, I, I remember that story. And, and again, it's been a few years since I, since I've read it, but I just re- remember it as just a wild personal ride, um, culminating in just a hard fought sense of self-discovery and self-discovery and identity. I mean, you know, it's the human condition, but these aren't, these aren't easy things to navigate, are they? No. And that's where, you know, I, with outside in Brad Shepard, the lead character, you know, I purposely made him, you know, 28 years old, you know, and it's a coming of age. And he was somebody that had a master's degree and had was on his career path and thought he had things figured out and, you know, everything got turned upside down on him. And, and some people said, oh, well, you know, that's kind of old for coming of age. You know, a lot of that stuff, those questions have already been answered. And I, I you know, dispute, I dispute that. I think, you know, we go through a lot of cycles of, of that discovery. And, you know, I face a lot of doubts in my and uncertainty every day. And it seems like when I feel like I have something figured out, that's when I know the curveball is, is coming. And, mm. you know, especially, especially with women, I can tell you so many times I've been like, Hey, you know, this relationship thing, I, I think I got this. I, I finally understand what, what I need to do. And then boom, out of, out of left field, you know, here, here, here comes something. So I, I think we all always continue, uh, continue to grow and, and continue to evolve. And, you know, through that, I mean, maybe if we're lucky, we have some moments of, of certainty or clarity where we feel, you know, kind of our nature and future and everything's aligned. But overall, you know, those are our moments because I think the majority of the time we're, we're really trying to trying to figure stuff out. Right. I agree. And, and I definitely agree with you that um, life, at least in, in my experience, it's, it's sort of a path where you get some power and you get some self-confidence and things are going well. And then you, you know, you take a few steps forward and then you take 10 steps back or in some instances, everything goes completely to shit and you know you you know you lose yourself and then you have to do the painful work of getting up in the morning and putting one foot in front of the other and you know not really knowing what's what's going to happen and you know eventually hopefully you know you reach that point of power and self-confidence again but you know in my life is you know kind of as it described in my memoir you know it's get some power lose the power get some power lose the power and I you know I, I don't I know some people on this planet who have had just like a nice straight trajectory sure. of everything just kind of it's like okay steady progress steady progress but I don't know too many do you? Yeah, no, I, I think in, in the ones that I, I do, I would 
probably question that that's just the narrative, you know, the snapshots that I'm, that I'm seeing that there's, there's a lot that that's not there. And I, and I, one of the many things that I loved about uh, your book, what a body remembers is we got to see Karen Thomas, who Thomas was um, your, uh, your maiden name. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. we got to see her, you over the course of, you know, 30 some, 30 some years. Mm -hmm. So we got to see the transformation and this, this, that's what I kept thinking about was this identity. And, um, one of the ways, you know, you, you talked about, you know, when you're a 19 year old college student and your identity as an adult is just beginning to take shape. You're learning who you are. You're learning who you want to be. You're examining the expanse between those two places and how to construct the bridge between them. And then you go on to say, but my bridge has crumbled. Yeah. So, you know, again, just such, such a great metaphor there. And I think we all can, can relate to that, you know, when you're 19, 20 in that age range and you think, man, I got stuff, I got stuff figured out. You're getting that first sense of independence and then something happens, you know, and for you, it was so, so tragic, um, such a big tragedy that, um, it just completely, you know, I think in my, in my review of the book, you know, how it, it did, it shattered your life, but it also kind of worked to ultimately inspire and a lot of good come out of it. So talk a little bit about the, the, events you know that happened that really sets up the book um well the uh the book talks about kind of kind of three phases of my life that in the 80s uh when this assault occurred in the 90s where paradoxically i was a criminal defense lawyer for about eight years of my legal career. And then finally in 2014, uh, when my life uh, is kind of falling apart again, and I become obsessed with my assailant from 1984, and I begin this quest to track him down and find out what what happened to him. But the the primary events in, in the book are uh, the you know the fact that I was a 19 year old, extremely naive, uh, very little life experience, uh, sophomore at at UC Berkeley, and I'm just kind of trying to get like you say a foothold and in, in life and get some power. And I worked for the campus police department wearing a police uniform. It looked exactly like a cop, except for a tiny patch on my police uniform that identified me as an aide, not a real police officer. And I, and I made my living, paid my rent, bought my books for school um, by patrolling a pretty crime-ridden campus and city and walking other women home to safety. And then one night after a shift at about 11.30, I went into the police locker room, put on my college student clothes, stripped away my 
uh, police uniform and I walked home alone in darkness and was assaulted at knife point just outside uh, of my apartment. And that's sort of, you know, and that's, that's the beginning of, of the story. And, you know, we, we walk through my crash course in the criminal justice system and, and then go on to see how I find a voice later, later in life. Um, once I've, uh, graduated from law school and start practicing law and become a become a trial lawyer. So so those are the so those are the main events. Without you know giving a a, a complete synopsis of the book, but there's lots of um, you know no spoilers. But like but like your book, Doug, my book is loaded with with twists with twists and turns, you know, focus lost. It's, it, this is an interesting podcast because um, I know you have questions about my book and I have a bunch of questions for you about your book, Focus Lost. And um, it's interesting because they're, you know, they're, they, they couldn't be more different. And so mm-hmm. it, 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 it makes for, it makes for an interesting conversation. Um and and with that segue, if it's okay with you, I kind of wanted to ask you a couple of questions about focus lost. If if now's a good time, yeah, sure. I guess just before we kind of transition, um, one question I had is, what would you know? What would the Karen of two thousand you know fifteen two thousand nineteen now tell that? Karen of 1980, you know, 84, 85, that, that young, naive adult? Um, well, um, I actually addressed this in the book a little bit as I begin the excavation process and started pulling out my, um, my journals from that time post-assault in 1984. And you know, I would just, you know, I would want to hold her and say, baby, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You're going to be okay. Of course you feel completely fucked up right now. Of course, you know, getting your econ problem sense done is a real bitch right now because you're not able to concentrate. You're not always going to feel this way. Watch yourself talk. Don't tell yourself you're going crazy. Tell yourself that you're going through a rough time and you're going to get through this. And I tell her, you know, ask for help and stop this denial bullshit of telling everybody I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, you know, I, because it, because that Karen, she wasn't physically hurt. She was mentally destroyed, um, completely traumatized. Um, but you know, I would tell her, you know, you're you're gonna be okay, and just please be more, please be gentle with yourself. And uh, I, you know, I would <laughs> I would tell her to do just some of the most you know, basic common sense things that were just, you know, not 
in the realm of possibilities just to do just due to money. I mean, I could have at least moved out of that apartment, but that just wasn't a, a viable option financially. Um, uh, but but mostly I would just tell her to be gentle with herself or gentler than she was. Yeah, and that's what I think um, why everybody should should read this book because you know you don't have to go through that just traumatizing you know i never have been in such a perilous situation but i definitely could relate to a lot of the the confusion and the questions and the doubts and when you went back and read those journals and you know i had kept a lot of journals as as well and and have gone back and could really, you know, understand and that advice that you just give everybody needs to hear that. Yeah. You know, just sure. be, be gentle with yourself, you know, and it's, it's, it's not that, that bad and to keep things in perspective and it's easy to say on the other side. Right. Sure. But sure. those are great. Those are great reminders. And, um, I think when I, when I was reading and, and just, the wisdom and the sage advice that that comes through the pages. I think everybody can can benefit and appreciate and and grow from that. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, trauma comes in many forms, um, not just assault. And um, I think that ninety nine point nine percent of us. Uh, if we could just follow the advice, you know, give yourself a break. Don't beat yourself up so much. Um, we'd be much happier people, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so segueing a little bit to, to, to focus lost again, um, a, a very different story, a fictional story. Um, unlike mine, uh, we we open with these Hollywood actors, Levi Combs and Emily James. And, you know, chapter one, Doug had me on the edge of my seat. And that frankly didn't stop until the last page of the book. But in chapter one, we've got paparazzi versus these privileged actors and I'm reading and, and I kind of had to stop myself and just say, Karen, why do you care so much? I mean, it's these, you know, this paparazzi and these privileged, uh, flawed actors. Um, why are you getting so taken into this story? But I, I did. And you created so much suspense and connected with these, connected me with these characters so immediately but um, kind of dovetailing your very different story in, into mine, one of Levi's earliest lines in the book is, solitude is your only friend in our business. Everyone either wants a share of what you have or to keep you from getting theirs. And, you know, solitude is something is a fascinating concept and um, it's um, you can call it solitude and it's a peaceful thing or sometimes it's self-isolation which is a little bit more more dangerous but 
do you, I, I mean, in, in terms of life in general, um, do you believe what Levi says here that um, everyone either wants a share of what you have or to keep you from getting theirs? Uh, or do you think that's something exclusive to uh, La La Land and the, the Hollywood scene? No, I think, you know, it depends on the, the person. I think that's a very cynical, you know, jaded, jaded view of, of things. And I'm sure people that have had a lot of success um, or come into a lot of money or just have an abundance of, of something may get to that point and say, geez, you know, people only come to me when they need something, you know, and that's, you know, that's what they start seeing, you know, whenever they see people, it's people with their, with their hands out or that have, have needs. So I think it can be a learned, um, uh, a bit of a learned behavior that a, you know, just the isolation going to the, to the cabin in the woods going, you know, not going out in public doing, doing some of those things and, and probably for, you know, celebrities even even more so, um, just because of the public recognition. But I, I think I don't agree with Levi in, in terms of kind of the predatory uh, kind of tone of of what he said. I, I think he is at a point in his career where he's becoming jaded, but he also creates a lot of a lot of the problems, and and that's what you know the story kind of ties back to the name, uh, back to Milton's Paradise Lost with Focus Lost. And I really wanted to tell a modern kind of creation story with Adam, Eve, and and Satan, where where Levi is playing the Satan character, and, and the Eve character is Ava Flores, the agent, and Adam um, character is Gabriel Adams, who's a, who's a nature photographer. So kind of putting these three into into the triangle and and really that opening scene is just kind of kicks things off but that in itself isn't what really escalates um the issues it's really the reaction to those things and that's kind of one of the messages is you know often the big problems that we have are rarely single act of what's happened it's the reaction and then the reaction to the reaction and the reaction to that and things quickly spiral out of control yeah yeah um yeah that's a that's an interesting framework um uh yeah levi's definitely a troubled flawed uh person from from page one through the end and um something uh that's that's a constant with him is is that alcohol and i again i'm sorry to keep bringing up your other book outside in but it reminded me of the protagonist in outside in and you do these flawed alcohol soaked um characters so well on the page and i i want to know where where does that 
come from? Well, a lot of it is, you know, I, I have a lot of, uh, not, not just alcohol, but the, I try to use vices, I think, part of the flaws, whether it's alcohol, drugs, um, gambling, you know, sex, um, you know, some of these more extreme, you know, indulgences where people lose themselves in. Um, usually when I'm developing a character, I bring, bring that around it, you know, different, um, all my stuff is fiction, you know, so mom, if you're listening, (laughs) unfortunately you can't Karen, you can't, uh, you know, your stuff is, is memoir, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all, all true, but you know, there is, I can't say that everything is made up. I do have, um, experience, but I always say, you know, I, I won't say what's true and what's not in in my writing. You know, I'll leave that up for people to to try to try to figure out. But you know, most stuff comes from a place of truth. If it's not me, it's it's someone I know or that I've you know shared time with or um, you know have have gotten to have gotten to know. So it, it comes from a very very real, uh, real place. And I try to really understand, you know, what, um, because it's self-destructive behavior, right? right? So what, what, what draws people to that, that self-destruction? Because we all have a survival instinct, right? We, we all want, um, you know, we all want to succeed. Um, so why do people create their, their own obstacles and you know so often can't get out of their their own way so pretty much all all my characters are you know have um wrestle with with some of those questions in in one way or or the other yeah well it's it's interesting because you're you're some of your characters uh you know like 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 all of us like they'll they'll do anything um you know and again like levi and the alcohol is is just one example but they'll do virtually anything to avoid feeling the feelings Mm -hmm. they don't want to feel they'll do anything to avoid feeling pain or loneliness or or whatever is their demon and in that pursuit in in that avoidance they just create more pain and loneliness and uh you know so that was like kind of one of the global themes that 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 i've seen from your characters yeah and and i think you know that's i think that's ultimately a question you know that we we ask you know ourselves and you know look in the mirror and just be like, what the fuck am I doing? Right. You know, why, why didn't I think, you know, we wrestle with that. And so, you know, I try to bring that, bring that to the, to the page, you know, and, and you even talked about it. Um, I believe, you know, because, you know, kind of going into that second, um, phase of when you were the criminal, uh, defense attorney and you were talking about the ugliness of humanity manifested in criminal acts once found me but now i'm in control now i go hunting for it Uh so that was just you know that you had 
come out of, you know, had, had worked through your tragedy, you know, got, you know, you were a um, JD MBA, are a JD MBA, and, you know, you start practicing and you thought, wow, you know, I, I was escaping from this past, but now you realized you were actually willfully going into it. Mm-hmm. And why, why do you think, I mean, was, was that conscious? I know you speculated on books and everybody, of course, had, had their view right. of why, why you were doing it and what you were trying to, to uh, you know, accomplish, whether it was conscious, subconscious. I mean, what, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, and, and as you know, I addressed this directly uh, in in the book and everybody's take on uh, why uh, I became a criminal defense lawyer. And, uh, you know, some people saying, okay, I'm going to control the narrative now. I got, you know, screwed over badly in the criminal justice system last time around. And now I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to, I'm going to be heard. And, um, you know, other people have opined that, uh, uh, again, no spoilers here, but that uh, it was me modeling uh, an inspiring criminal defense lawyer who I came to know uh, during my college years, and that she—I thought she was the biggest badass I'd ever met, and I wanted to be a badass like her more than anything, even though I was quaking with fear inside. Uh, but you know the the real reason, Doug, um, and you know maybe someone could psychoanalyze me and say you know call bullshit, but uh, I, I think it was just I came into that career just like so many other things happened in my life, and that's just pure dumb luck, pure dumb chance. My plan in life was to become a prosecutor and put away the bad guys. And that narrative makes perfect sense. Um, it would also make for a really dull book. I mean, it would be the, you know, the lifetime TV movie on a Tuesday afternoon because um, it's pretty predictable. And um, and I started out on that path and it just didn't happen for a variety of reasons. And I stuck my toe in the water and started doing some criminal defense work and liked it and loved um, my clients, um, despite their flaws, um, uh, you know, saw their humanity, even despite those flaws. And had a real sense that, you know, these people that I, that I was representing, I mean, they were, these were the poorest of the poor, the most uneducated, the, the most damaged from, you know, fucked up childhoods. And, um, and they had no one on their side, but me. And um, that was a really, you know, that was just a really, really compelling 
experience. Um, and so it, it's a complete paradox that, you know, someone who had the experiences that I had as a victim in the criminal justice system, uh, that, that I would go on to be a criminal defense lawyer. Um, but you know, that's kind of what makes, that's what makes the, the story interesting. And, and it's kind of a cliche, but you know, there's the, the John Lennon line, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what really grabbed me is when you just came right out and said that you had fallen in love with your clients. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't a romantic love. It wasn't sexual love, but it was love because what else could it be that decades later you still thought about these men and women who, you know, you shared that time with mm-hmm. and you, you know, just ruminate, you know, are they still alive? Are they addicted? Are they still in prison? You know, are they still that same person, funny, awkward, you know, um, and then, you know, you question, it, maybe it isn't love, that it's just this thrill of this strange kind of in- intimacy where yeah. you've just shared that deep connection, you know. Um, but then again, you're like, or, or maybe I just love that I was needed. And just yeah. that, that rawness that I think you, that just comes, comes through and just really is gripping and, um, you know, just that, that honesty, um, you know, and, and it was, you know, you even kind of qualified it against, you know, Hollywood's portrayal of the criminal, right. the criminal lawyer. And you use the jagged edge, um, with Glenn Close and Jeff Bridges. And, and I, I don't know if you know, Stephen J. Schwartz, um, the, the author, but he, he wrote a book called Hollywood versus the author. And he talks about when things are, you know, and, and uses actual, um, each chapter is a different story of an author who has had their, um, their book brought to the screen, either TV or, or movie, and some are good, some are bad. So I start thinking, okay, the, the Karen Stefano story, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and part of what can happen is they can give it any ending that they, they, they want, you know, so they could totally just have you as that criminal attorney and, and end it, you know, end it there. How, how would you feel if, you know, you, first of all, would you sell the rights and, and kind of turn it over to allow it to be made into a TV or, uh, you know, TV show or movie with no control over the story? Yeah, I don't, I, I mean, God, that would be a great uh, dilemma to have. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't know if I, if I could, I mean, because if, you know, Hollywood, you know, every, you know, every uh, female journalist is, you know, fucking her sources. Every female criminal defense lawyer is fucking her clients. And um, that's just uh, not how it goes down. And, um, and I, you know, I think uh, to have something that supposedly my story get, get so warped 
um, I think would probably, it would just, it would break my heart. But man, I mean, so the book is called Hollywood versus the author, Stephen J. J. Schwartz. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he's a fellow rare, rare bird author. He is. Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really great guy. Um, so yeah, check, check that out. It's, it's eye opening, And, um, I think you, especially with your story and how personal it is, I always like to ask the, you know, authors what, you know, would they, would they let go and let the story take on, on, you know, and, and even more personal because it is you, you're, you're the protagonist in, in the story. So it would even be a harder, uh, a harder decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. But um, from your lips to God's ears that I'm faced with that dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other side is if they could capture, you know, 10, 20% of just the genuineness and sincerity and, and wisdom and truth that's in, in the book, it, it would be still a benefit to the world, regardless of, of, of how they, how they ended it. Um, you know, like, like you say at, at one point in, in the story, sometimes there just isn't enough room for the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, you know, and the other thing there too is, I mean, how, how many, um, movies based on a book have been better than the book or, equal to the book. Um, I, I, I mean, I honest to God can't think of one. Um, uh, so that's, you know, so that's always another, there's always another consideration there, but, um, so, um, I finished the book, finished focused lost. And, um, I of course read your acknowledgments and I actually teared up um, when I saw that you mentioned Maureen. And for everybody who's listening, uh, Maureen was, I don't know if she was famous on Twitter for her, uh, for her beautiful outfits and various poses and sometimes grumpy faces. But uh, Maureen was Doug's beloved cat um, who died uh, fairly recently and Doug uh mentions her in the acknowledgments and um I you know I'm a cat person I think you know that anyone who follows my Twitter feed knows mostly what I tweet about is my cats but I just thought it was just I mean I thought it was kind of ballsy um to do I mean like you know good for you um that you know, you out yourself as a cat guy, as a cat <laughs> lover. Um, and, and, you know, and it's just interesting. I just don't think it's, a, it's something that I would have the, have the courage to do, but I thought about it, like in my short story collection, my, my beautiful Chantel, um, you know, who I had to put down just before her 20th birthday, I, you know, I felt like it was so wrong to not include her in the acknowledgments because she sat on my lap during, you know, as I wrote every single one of the short stories in my collection. And, you know, my cats now, um, you know, 
you know, they fight over, there's only enough room in my lap for one of them. Mm -hmm. And, um, but like, they're with me every step of the, of the way. And I don't know, I just wanted to kind of say, you know, bravo to you for doing that. And, um, uh, you know, I just thought it was precious. And I, I, I literally, you know, again, you know, crazy cat lady, I own it, but I, I, um, you know, I, I literally teared up when I read that and I just wanted to say, you know, bravo to you. Oh, thanks. And, you know, I find the acknowledgements very difficult to write, but including Maureen, uh, was, was actually pretty, pretty easy. She, you know, did have a sister, Melanie, who had passed away a couple years earlier and and when Maureen passed, it was 19 years. And in that 19 years, I had moved from Detroit to New York, was in Oslo for five years in Norway, and then to Vegas for four was writing my second book, The Investment Club. Then I moved back to the Cleveland area where I'm from, and Maureen came, and then into uh, you know the house that I'm, I'm with now. So 19 years, she she covered a large portion of my life. And as yeah. you said, was there every step of the way. And, and um, she, she was grumpy. I think I was the only <laughs> one that, that she loved. And, but everybody that was even more endearing because she was just so real. She didn't have the right. time for right. anybody, but she was, she was my girl. So uh, thanks yeah. for, thanks for recognizing yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, and, and that, and, uh, and, yeah, but our, our animals and, you know, and that's part of the reason, too, that I, you know, in the new book, I, I in Focus Lost, you know, there's a character named Milton who has has a little bit of a role that I like to work some animals in there. And Milton's kind of a shout out to the to John Milton from from Paradise Lost. And then also there's a there's a snake, you know, I'm, uh, that that also has a, a fairly decent sized role in the, in, in the book. So. I'm always, I get a lot of comments from people that read it that I could have done without the snake. You know, so people, people either are bothered by snakes or they're not. And, you know, I tell people, hey, if you don't like snakes, there might be some rough pages in there. Yeah, you can kind of skim through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sure. where can we find out, where can we find out more about Karen and the, um, the launch and, and where to get the book? Uh, you can get it uh, on IndieBound. You can walk into your favorite local bookstore and ask for it. Um, it's at Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon. Uh, you know, basically wherever books are sold. And I know that um, the good folks at the handful of local bookstores that we have in San Diego are going to be. Uh, carrying it. And then obviously I'm in um, transition back and forth to DC right now, long story. Um, uh, but the nice folks at Politics and Prose and Kramer Books, two of the most fabulous indie bookstores in the DC area are carrying it. And they're just, they couldn't have been nicer to me um, about it and more gracious. So, um, so yeah. And Follow me um, on Twitter. Uh, lots of stuff going on these days with the book. And and Doug, what's what about you? Where where can people get Focus Lost? Yeah, similar. You know, wherever books are are sold, you know, really like people to go to their 
to their local stores and support them. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can on IndieBound, you know, can get directed to, you know, some just great local shops, um, you know, all the usual Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Right now, too, on my website, um, I have uh, signed copies for sale. So if anybody wants a personalized signed copy, go to B-Y-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. Um, and click on the bookstore and there's there's some all my books are there and also you know i put these broadcasts and podcasts and other stuff so a uh, great way to stay connected if you if you want to want to learn more otherwise you know just doing some events and you know if you're going to read one book this summer you know i really think what a body remembers people will not be disappointed you know pick it up great read beach read going on a trip uh just you're gonna learn so much about yourself and and karen oh doug you are you're your sweetheart um thank you so much for that and thank you for your wonderful novel focus lost and it's just been great talking to you again and um i hope i get to see you in person again soon